Welcome back to the Dealmakers Podcast Show with serial entrepreneur Alejandro Cremades, best-selling author of The Art of Startup Fundraising and co-founder at Panthera Advisors. In this podcast, we ask our guests about their successful acquisitions and financing rounds. Hey guys, so just a quick overview here on Panthera Advisors, as I think it might be of value to you. So Panthera Advisors exist in order to help founders that are in the process of raising capital or get their company acquired. I actually started the company out of incredible frustration because during my entrepreneurial journey, which involved building, financing, scaling, and exiting companies, I could not find a resource that was founder-friendly and I could not get the type of support that I was seeking. So as a result, I made a ton of mistakes along the way. So if you're looking to raise capital, or you are looking to get your company acquired, or just need some sound financial planning, and you're looking to get the best possible outcome in the shortest period of time, feel free to learn more by visiting us at pantheraadvisors.com, or just reach out directly and shoot me a note at alejandro at pantheraadvisors.com. Alrighty, hello everyone and welcome to the Dealmaker Show. So today we're going to speak with someone, someone that has the um, the engineering chops and I think that we're going to learn quite a bit from all of his experience. So without further ado, Steve Newman, welcome to the show today. Thank you. So uh, Steve, so originally from Arbor from Michigan, how was it live uh, growing up there? It was nice. You know, it's a, it's a college town. It's the University of Michigan. Um, Grew up outside of town, um, you know, just kind of, you know, nice, uh, you, know, you know, kind of, you know, sort of classic Midwestern upbringing, uh, maybe with the addition of a computer. Uh, I was one of those kids who was, you know, on my computer from from a young age. And uh, uh, but, yeah, it's a nice place, nice place to grow up. Cool. And, and at what point do you start engaging with uh, mathematics and, and with computers? It was pretty early on. Uh, my father was in the business and uh, in the in the computer business, and he um, brought a Commodore PET home when I was eight years old, uh, and I started started learning to learning to code in BASIC all the way back then. Really cool, really cool. So then, so then you got your mathematics degree from the University of Michigan, and then you uh, did Stanford. So, so what what was Stanford about? What, what what happened there? Were you studying, you know, the masters of computer science? Yeah. So, uh, so side note, I never actually finished my undergraduate degree. Um, my the 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 masters in computer science is the only degree I ever finished. Um, I dropped out of Michigan uh, to go work at a software startup. Um, uh, a decision I don't necessarily recommend, but it turned out okay. And um, so that was mathematics. And um, but my kind of my passion has always been computers. And you know, I found myself working at a software startup uh, that led to a move out to California. And um, at some, but I, I'd never had any formal education in uh, computer science or, or software. And um, decided it, after I'd been in the field for a few years, I decided. Uh, that might that might help me, uh, and so that's when I went and did the masters at Stanford. Really cool. And and so so tell us how you started getting engaged with with startups. Truth is, I'm I've almost never known any other way to do it. It was um, back when I was at college, freshman year. I met a fellow who um, had recently graduated, uh, and he had started a little software company there in Ann Arbor. And he said, hey, why don't you come work for us uh, over the summer, uh, which I did. Uh, and that's set, that set my whole career. I've, it's been startups ever since. Um, just had a ton of fun. We were building some, this was, that summer was 1985. The, Mac, the Macintosh originally came out in 1984. So this was very early days still. And we built some of the first uh, graphic editing and then word processing software on the Macintosh. Um, and just working in that small group, you know, going a mile a minute. Uh, you know, building new things. Um, I, I love that. Uh, I love that pace. And um, so that, that's been my career ever since. Got it. So, so then what was that time where finally you got your first project and, 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 and you saw that I believe that was same, a project that you did that you sold to Claris. Is that right? That was the first, uh, first thing I built uh, on my own as a founder, well, as a co-founder. Um, that's right. Yeah, that was, in the very early days of the web, and uh, my part, my co-founder and I, we had a lot of experience building 
desktop software and word processing software in particular, and there was this sudden need to build web pages, which really is very similar to what a word processor does. You're creating documents, uh, formatted documents. And so we saw an opportunity to take what we already knew from the word processing world and apply it uh, to this new new web thing that, that seemed like maybe it was going to be big. Got it. So then did you guys raise money or or or, or what was the what was the journey like with that company? Uh, we did not. It um, basically the two of us went off for uh, I don't remember exactly now, but it was not maybe it was a six six months. Just the two of us, you know, each each working from home um, uh, threw together this early application, um, and uh, a friend of ours uh, was uh, started taking it around the valley, uh, you know, seeing who if uh, someone might be interested in in getting into that. Um, getting into that market. And um, so the whole thing happened so quickly. And, um, you know, it was just the the two of us building it and this third fellow um, handling the the relationship side um, never had any need to raise capital. So why did you guys go for an acquisition before releasing the product? For me, we had no idea what we were doing, raising the, <laughs> releasing the product. Um, we were just, you know, engineers and knew nothing about right. taking the product to market. Got it. So I guess I guess looking back now, I mean, if, if you would have done things differently with with this one, what what would you have done? Would you have waited a little bit before selling it, or or what would you have done? You know, that's a great question, um, and I honestly don't know the answer. Um, I mean, obviously there there was a real market there, uh, and successful businesses came out of that. Uh, the web did not turn out to be a, uh, a flash in the pan. Um, it would have been a very different journey. I, in truth, I don't know that we uh, we were ready for it uh, then, but it was it was great experience actually to then give us the confidence the next time around. Um, it, it sort of took the mystique out of starting a business. You know, we had done this thing, we'd created a product that was successful, and um, so to actually you know have done that, have that under our belt, have it a success, uh, and then have that experience and confidence uh, for the next company we started. I think uh, worked well for for who we were. So, so then, so then, talking about that success, um, what do you think that success changed? What what did that success alter for for you as an entrepreneur? Mostly, it was just a sense of confidence. You know, the the story behind that that product was we were um, and we were quite young at the time. We were in our twenties, and um, you know, we looked at this new market that was uh, or this new technology that was coming up, and it looked like there was starting to be a market for tools there. And we felt like we could create a, a good solution and we were sort of trying to, but, you know, we'd never started a business before uh, on our own. And like, just, you know, if, if we, you know, we had that, I, partly I think we had imposter syndrome. You know, if we can see this opportunity, if this is something we can build, obviously lots of other people must be able to do it too. And it's probably silly to go do something because, uh, you know, I'm sure other people who, know what they're doing and have raised money before and so on, you know, they're obviously going to make something better. We, we, you know, we were, we had those doubts and um, we tried, but we decided to, to try something uh, partly because it was low risk for us. Um, uh, you know, it was something we were able to do ourselves and building that product, having it be successful, not, you know, didn't turn out that we were drowned out by 50 other people doing the same thing and doing it better. Uh, but seeing that product actually uh, become both a, a business success, you know, we were successfully acquired, uh, and then a success in the market, um, you know, that told us, it sort of took the the mystique away uh, from the idea of starting a business. It, it, you know, I think it showed us that if something makes sense to you, it may actually make sense to the world. So it's just having visibility, you know, perhaps understanding the process, really seeing how it works, the full cycle, it just, it just gives you an, a better understanding of, of what's the road no? from start to finish. Exactly. Got it. Got it. So, and, and the terms of the, of this deal, were they public? Uh, no. Okay. Got it. So then you go into Bitcraft. So how did Bitcraft happen? So Bitcraft was, um, this same friend and, and I, and then, and then another, another engineer we knew, um, basically with the idea of, Hey, let's go, you know, so we, we started out, we knew we wanted to do something before we had an idea of what we wanted to do. Uh, it was basically, let's, the three of us go fi figure out another interesting product to build. Um, and we wound up building um, 
uh, web application server, which then was acquired by Macromedia, um, with, uh, which they were then incorporating into a, a product that they were uh, in the midst of building internally. So, so, so then was it like your purpose always to, to build and sell this thing? You know, once you had the frames of reference from the company that you had sold before, or, or what was the intention when you guys got started with this? That, um, I'm digging deep into my memory here, but, um, yeah, I think we, I don't remember whether we specifically had the plan at the start, let's build a thing to be acquired, but that was a path that had worked well for us. Um, and so it was certainly one of the possibilities that we had in mind. And then, um, things just kind of lined up that what we had built fit with uh, something Macromedia was trying to do. Um, and so when that opportunity came along, we were, we were pretty open to it. And this is actually uh, when the dot com uh, bust, you know, was was happening. So, so how did that, I would say, push you guys to a transaction, or or motivated this, or or perhaps influenced this? I mean, was it the the circumstances that you guys were uh, dealing with that you were like, okay, you know, let's maybe not build this thing farther and 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 dump more money into it. Maybe let's let's find a, an outcome, or or what was the reasoning behind doing a transaction with Macromedia? So actually, I think we I think we closed that transaction in early 2000. So it was just before the bust, actually, or before it had fully become apparent that what we were seeing was, in fact, the bust. Um, so it wasn't something we were pushed into. Um, it was just it, it 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 was it just it seemed like a. a it was it just it was a it was a good path forward. Um, you know, we knew some of the folks at Macromedia. There was a good relationship there. We were happy with the the plans for what they were going to, you know, the direction things were going to go. And um, so it was just it was an opportunity that that we were happy to take. So how how long did it take did, did it take from start to finish to get this deal done? I <laughs> I couldn't tell you. It was uh, I I think it was relatively quick. Uh, but you know this is twenty years back now. <laughs> so uh, I hear you. I hear you. Yeah. Hey, we're testing your memory here, Steve. Yeah. So, yeah. Oh, uh, you know, it was it. not. It was not some kind of you know prolonged you know year long kind of a process. Um. Or or I would remember. Um, but, and, they, and, know, and and the terms here were they um were they made available? Uh, no, I'm, I'm afraid not. Uh, and just to, to save you trouble, um, you know, I've been through a, a couple of other acquisitions over the years, uh, but we've never, we've never, uh, none of the terms have ever been public. Got it. Well, maybe one day I'll take you to have a few tequila shots and maybe we can spill the beans, Steve. <laughs> no worries. No yep. worries. Okay. So then, so then after this, uh, transaction with, um, with Bitcraft, you stayed a little bit with Macromedia as an engineer, and then you did a little bit of, uh, of, uh, Consulting gigs here and there as well with companies like uh, Intuit. And then finally, you land with uh, doing Abstertal, which uh, builds really meaningful. So so walk us through that transition into into really, you know, landing on on, on the idea of, of Abstertal and, and, and how did that happen? So... Um... You know, at the, so now Upstartle was uh, the same fellow, Sam Chalace and I, uh, who had been part of these other startups as well. Uh, as a woman named Claudia Carpenter, who we had met at Intuit, um, and who's now with uh, with us here at Scalar, by the way. But um, so the three of us, um, kind of like with Bitcraft, we just we knew we wanted to go build something together for the fun of building something together. Uh, but we didn't have any specific project in mind, and um, so we actually we you know did, went through the legal process of incorporating Upstartle before we had any idea what the company would actually be. Um, and we spent uh, probably about a year uh, experimenting with different ideas and prototyping things. Uh, and then basically one day Sam walked into the office with the with an idea and he described rightly. Uh, and it was a couple of different things had come together in his head. Sam and I for years had been wanting to solve what we called the emailing word file attachments problem. You're working on a document with someone, you're writing it in Word on your computer, then you have to email email the draft to your to your partner to look at. Maybe they make some changes, they email it back, you're sending it back and forth. Pretty soon you've lost all track of who has which revision and what's the latest. And um, you know, I, you know, I think we've all are certainly back, you know, back then everyone would live through this all the time. And that was a problem we had always wanted to solve. 
And um, this was 2005 now, and the year before Gmail had launched. Um, and I think uh, in 2005 was when Sam signed up for it and saw, you know, everyone remembers the, the big thing about Gmail was a gigabyte for free, gigabyte storage. But another thing that was fairly uh, unique about Gmail was the ability to edit uh, email documents with styling, fonts and boldface and so forth in the browser. Um, you know, Hotmail and, and other uh, email solutions before then were just plain text, but Gmail had this browser-based application where you could edit uh, slightly more complex, um, you could do more complex formatting. And so basically the idea was, wait, if you can do complex formatting on the web, we could use that to solve this co-editing of a document problem. Um, and that was the idea for Rightly. And it was immediately apparent to us that, um, that this was, that this was uh, an idea worth pursuing. And actually from that point to when, that day when he had, Sam came in with the idea to we launched was 100 days, which I remember specifically because I just read some blog post where someone had said any new idea, any new product you start working on, you should launch in 90 days. If you take longer than that, you're overthinking it. Um, so 90 days was our goal. We, we missed by a week or so. So what happened during those 90 days? Uh, a lot of typing, <laughs> you know, it was the, <laughs> it was pretty clear to us what we wanted to make. I mean, it was basically just a simple document editor and some very simple, uh, very simple facility to share the document with other people. And, um, uh, and so it was just, you know, go and code it. Mm. And, and, and what do you think made your, I would say partnership with someone like Sam so, I would say solid and, and magical because you guys had, have been building like all these projects for so many years. So what do you think made it so special? It's a good question. I don't know. You know, I think we, we just get along well and we complement one another. Um, so you know, let's I'm, say what, what did you have that he didn't have and vice versa? So I'm always the optimist, like, yeah, let's do this. This is going to be great. Um, and Sam is more of a realist. So, uh, you know, kind of, you know, on his own, maybe he wouldn't be inspired to do something on my own. I'm going to go off in a crazy direction, um, or at least back then I would have. Um, so, you know, we, and in, you know, in other ways, just kind of, you know, complementary skill sets. Um, you know, sometimes I think just sometimes it, it happens that way, you know, you bring two or three people together and, and it just happens to be a good mix. So then, so then really interesting. And so, so after the 90 days, when you put this thing to the world, what, what was that? you know, initial reaction that you were getting from the market? So we did a very soft launch. It was, we were really just thinking of that as a prototype. Uh, and so the purpose of launching it was to start to get feedback. And um, so we didn't announce it or anything. Um, we did spend, we set up a, uh, an AdWords campaign. I think we were spending $5 a day, literally, uh, because we just wanted a few people to come and try it and give us feedback. And we actually had a form there was a box right on the page where you could just start typing feedback and hit a button and it would send it to us because that, that was everything, all we were looking for at that point. And so just, you know, a few people a day would come and try it. And um, I had, we had no analytics or any kind of sophisticated reporting, but I had a little script I could run against the database that would just tell me, it would just give me the count how many people have signed up. Uh, and I would check it once or twice a day. And I remember I went to bed one night uh, and the number was about a hundred and, you know, many of whom I knew personally, it was friends and family. I woke up the next morning uh, and it was a thousand and climbing fast. And what had happened overnight was um, Michael Arrington had blogged about us on TechCrunch um, and he had just gotten started. I think we were maybe the 22nd article ever posted on TechCrunch or, or something like that. But um Turned out some college student had blogged about us and someone had seen that and, and then Arrington had seen that. And 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 that that was when we caught people's attention. Wow. Wow. Really, really interesting. So then so then what were some of the days after that? Because obviously you guys were acquired by by Google and for the folks that are listening, you know, rightly eventually led to to really Google Docs and Google Drive, which is uh, really unbelievable. 800 million people daily using this. So, so I guess what were some of the uh, next challenges that you guys were experiencing? You know, and, and we'll get into the acquisition in a, in a little bit. But, but what were some of the challenges that you were experiencing then? So at that point, it became all about scale. Um, you know, you know, we went from 100 to 1,000 to 10,000 to 100,000 to to millions of people using this software and 
you know, every every factor of 10 or so adds a new set of engineering challenges. And so we went from this little prototype application uh, running on a single leased Windows server somewhere in Dallas to, you know, now we're at Google and scaling up to hundreds of servers um, and completely different architecture and and having to make this thing work at scale. And um, suddenly it went from, you know, kind of building the basic product to, you know, making this thing work when, you know, eventually millions and, and hundreds of millions of people are, are going to be using it and integrating, also integrating it into the rest of the Google ecosystem. So, uh, you know, their Google, you know, we, we had built this word processor that became Google Docs, folding that in with Google Sheets and Google Slides, and as you say, Google Drive and so on. Suddenly, you know, we, you know we've gone from this one little piece of software running literally on one server to dozens of uh, internal services that are linked together um, and linked into the rest of the Google uh, internal cloud supporting you know, hundreds of millions of users. And, um, and so that was really the challenge. And, um, and that actually is what eventually led to what we're doing now here at Scalar, where um, we're building tools to help people understand what's going on. You know, when you're running a big system like that, how is it functioning and, and tracking down problems and so forth? Um, because that was, the, that was the situation that we were dumped into at Google. Um, you know, it's kind of think fast, you know, you're about to be a hundred million users, make it work. And, um, and we had real challenges in tracking down problems and understanding the limitations as the, as we were scaling up the system. Mm. And we'll, we'll get into, um, into Skylar in, in just a little bit, but I wanted to ask you here in the, um, in the, in the process of, for example, like building the company, I mean, you guys have obviously at this point hit product market fit. There's no way for you to to really keep up with the with the growth, which is typically what happens when when you really hit the nerve in the market. And and what what actually uh, happened? Like, did you guys like start to receive inbound requests from like VCs and and perhaps companies to try to acquire you, or 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 what happened? Yeah. So I mean, it, and it all happened so fast. You know, from the that day that you know my partner Sam walked in with the idea until the day the acquisition closed with Google was about 10 months. Um, you know, that first hundred days building the product, launching it, getting noticed by TechCrunch, and then kind of the, the next steps after that. So, so, you know, so now suddenly all we're, all we're doing is dealing with, yeah, these inbound people reaching out and talk to us and, and just scaling the system. Um, and uh, in fact, I'll never forget uh, when I called my partner, Claudia, um, and she hates it when I tell this story, but to tell her, you know, about TechCrunch and that, you know, suddenly everyone was was coming to try out the product. The first words out of her mouth were, we have to make them stop. Because in her mind, it wasn't ready. This was the prototype. You know, it didn't it it didn't look like something she felt she could be proud of yet. Uh, but the world had other ideas. And, um, you know, everyone it, and at first it wasn't. I don't want to make it sound like we were too much of a runaway success. I think we were, at first, we were a runaway novelty. Uh, everyone was just interested in this new thing. Yeah. And, um, you know, in, in our minds, we had been building a collaboration tool. I talked about this, you know, hating, you know, this problem of always emailing the word file back and forth. So this was a tool to collaborate, work together with someone to create a document. But everyone quickly decided that what we were really doing was replacing Microsoft Word, that this was the web kicking out the desktop, and which we knew was kind of silly because Word is this extremely sophisticated product and does a million things that, you know, back then and even today, uh, Google Docs doesn't do. Um, but and, and, you know, so it wasn't that we were trying to be a better Word. We were just trying to be a, a simple way to collaborate on a document. But um, but everyone loved the message of, you know, the upstart web based company, you know, threatening the, the big incumbent uh, desktop uh, uh, desktop software. And um, and so and I, you know, I think that story was really what drove a lot of the excitement. So everyone's trying, trying outrightly. Some people are actually using it. Um, we're getting all kinds of inbound press requests. You know, Sam winds up speaking at Web 2.0, I think either immediately before or immediately after Barry Diller. Um, and about six weeks into all that, um, we get an email with the subject line, 
greetings from Google, <laughs> which we almost threw away as spam because what the heck is right. that? Yeah. Um, but it was it was Google's um, corporate development team, um, you know, reaching was it out like to the, the head of CorpDev, or was it just like someone in the team that was tasked with the, getting you guys on the phone, or or who was this person? Yeah, yeah, some, someone someone from the team. Yeah, got it. So that so then they were requesting a call. Is that is that the um, the email? Yep. yep. So then you guys have a call. What happened? So we um, so we we met with them. But we f we felt like they were at that point, and I don't I, I don't know whether this is true, but we felt like they were really just looking for an aqua hire. That we thought we had done some neat little thing, and uh, and they were interested in acquiring it. And um, you know, kind of you know maybe we would be you know they thought maybe we'd be interested in uh, you know kind of a you know just a small acquisition, um, and we weren't. Um, and so the the conversation uh, didn't go too far. Um, and that was so that was the end of that for the moment. Um, but then um, a little while later, I don't remember the exact timeline, but probably a couple of months later, uh, they reached out again. Uh, and again, we engaged briefly, uh, but it didn't go too far. Um, and then uh, and then a couple of months later, they reached out a third time um, and things got more serious. Uh, and it was that third conversation that um, that led to the acquisition. Because on the second conversation, it was just more of the same of the first one, and you guys were like, nah, not interested." Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I'll I'll tell you though, you know, um, something else that entered our thoughts along the way, and I don't remember how this fits into the timeline exactly, uh, but the truth is, we were. It was clear we had built something interesting, and we were getting a lot of attention at this and we were getting outreach from VCs and we took a couple of meetings during we never took funding because uh, we, we never had a need for it but we were we were we certainly could have we were getting outreach from VCs as well um, but it wasn't obvious to us what the business model was going to be for this um, and we were seeing you know publicly I think we were you we were getting a lot of attention and making some noise uh, but we could see that actually when people would come and use the product very few people in truth uh, were using it deeply uh, you know we would see a lot of and would create an account, they would create a document, they would type, they would start typing text into the document, and they would just type like, huh, or this is interesting, and then they'd close the document and never come back. So it was, for most people, it was still a novelty, um, and there was some real usage, and we were, you know, we did truly believe that there was a real product and real potential here, um, but it looked like it was going to be a very long climb to turn it from, you know, novelty into real business. Right. And um, and so, so how, and how were you financing it, uh, Steve? Um, so we were just self-financing. I mean, the the costs were a few hundred dollars a month for hosting, uh, and then you know, you know, keeping ourselves in ramen. Um, it just you know, there there really wasn't any cost. In fact, uh, at the if if you do the accounting, uh, once everything was wrapped up, we spent more money on legal fees for the acquisition than everything else combined. And the legal fees weren't that high. It wasn't a complicated acquisition, but that was just <laughs> the only expense. Right, because especially Google is just so clean and, and so effective when they have this assembly line of doing their M&A. So it's, a, it's just very, normally very easy. You know, once say, you, know, you want to do it, you just do it. And, and it's no, no, not like the typical back and forth that you see with, with other less sophisticated structures. So uh, uh, yeah, that, that was certainly our experience. They were, they were in truth great to work with. That's amazing. So then, so then you were at Google for about four years after the acquisition. What were you doing during this time? Um, so there was kind of an initial handoff period, uh, you know, getting an inter internal team at Google engineering team up to speed on, on what we'd built. I wound up transitioning to uh, work on some, infra some data infrastructure projects to support Google Docs. Um, so Google course, started out with search. You know, first there was search, then there was ads, and then there was Gmail and calendar and Google Docs and all these other things. And all of those applications, uh, Gmail and, and Docs and so forth, it's a very different kind of system than, uh, it takes a very different kind of engineering than things like search and ads. Uh, because, you know, Google search, for example, it, it's an, obviously an immensely sophisticated piece of software, but it's not and especially back then, not sort of live. You don't interact with it. You don't put data into it. Um, you're just getting data out of it. And so Google didn't really, at the time, have any good database solution 
for storing data that was being created on the fly by customers for, for interactively entering data into the system. And so applications like Gmail and Docs really struggled to have a reliable uh, place to store user documents uh, and, and email and so forth. Um, and so I wound up uh, working on a project to, to address that. So then, so then during this time at Google, uh, and we're going to talk about your next rodeo with Skylar, but during this time with Google, I mean, you, you, here you are, this founder that has been doing projects here and there, and then all of a sudden, this is like your first real experience with a tech giant. So what was your biggest takeaway from, you know, working for, for these years? And, and maybe like there was like a ton of new stuff that you experienced and maybe like, like really, really big lessons. So what were some of these big lessons? Uh, well, there were a lot of big lessons. I mean, that, that four years, you know, I, I, you know, I think I learned more there than I ever learned in school. Um, you know, that, that, was, that was my real, uh, you know, undergraduate education in, in engineering at scale, you know, in, you know, engineering server systems at scale. Um, and I remember the first month almost literally at Google was just spent reading things on the, on the wiki. Um, and there was all this great internal material about how everything, you know, how, how all the systems worked, but even just, you know, basic principles for, for building systems that are going to be reliable at large scale. Um, and large scale really is different um, for, you know, sort of the obvious reason that you have to be able to control a big system instead of a little system. But there's a lot of other things you wouldn't anticipate. You know, people used to say that if if an event is a one in a billion chance, then it's going to happen every day. Because, uh, you know, if you have a billion users and they do more than one thing per day, you know, even the weirdest little edge cases will will come up every time. And so you can't write your software only to support sort of normal situations. Um, because yeah. if you if you have to go and chase things down and clean them up when when something really unusual happens, well, really unusual things are always happening uh, at that scale. So, yeah, I mean, it was um, working at Google was a great education in in how to do that and 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 where the challenges are. Really cool. So then, if you had to guesstimate today, how many people do you think are using Google Docs? I have, in honest truth, I'm sure you probably know better than I do. Um, all, what, what I know is that every school my children have been at since elementary school, uh, they've been using it um, and through no connection to me. Um, and so that, that, that's always made me really happy. Wow. Wow. Well, I, I, I mean, it's, it's amazing, the, um, the legacy, right? So, um, so, so really, really well done on that one. So then, so then Steve, so at what point do you, do you start to think, hey, you know, I think that I've done enough time here, it's time for me to, to go at it again. It was a couple of things, and, and I think they connect. One was, you know, I talked about what an incredible learning experience it was uh, working at Google. So that, that started to slow down. I, I got to the point where I felt like I, I had learned what I was going to learn. And I was ready, to, and that, so then the other side is, I, you know, so I was ready to start, you know, I, I started to see things that I, you know, I thought could be improved or done differently and and it's hard to do that. It's hard to make changes, you know, as an individual in a, a large company like that. And um, and that actually, so that led more or less directly to Scalar because you know work. I talked about how at, at Google, I wound up working on this um, you know database infrastructure project to support Google Docs and Google Drive and, and some of those other applications. And um, we we wound up having major challenges uh, within Google to get that system to work well um, and and to keep it working well. We, there were constantly, the the system was so complicated with all these movement, we, had, we were building several different pieces of software within that team. We were interfacing with lots of other systems run by other teams within Google. And so there's all these moving parts from different teams um, all being updated on different schedules and different things happening. And, you know, one application will have a big press event and suddenly they're getting more traffic and that might overload part of the system or or some other thing happens in some other part of the system. There were constantly uh, technical problems, performance problems, bugs that were popping up. And tracking that down in this enormous complicated system, figuring out where the problem is actually originating so that we can fix it, 
Um, that turned into a big frustration. And um, I had ideas for better tools to support that. But um, that wasn't something I was going to be able to, to make happen within Google. Um, okay. And so that's what we wound up uh, doing at Scalar. Okay, so then, so then, tell me about the day that you give your notice and you decide to really go at this like full, full speed ahead. It um, <laughs> there should be a good story there, uh, but I don't think there is. Uh, I, I barely even remember that that day. In truth, um, so you were just hey, let let's just do this thing, and and you got together with uh, with your other co-founder Steve as well, right? Uh, Sam, that's right. Well, oh. so actually, so. So Sam and I and Claudia, the three of us who had done Rightly, um, we left Google more or less together um, with the idea of, yeah, let's get the band back together and, and okay. do another startup. Um, we wound up, uh, but we, you know, I think that the seed for what became Scalar had already been planted uh, in my head, okay. but we didn't leave with the specific agreement that we were going to do that. We just knew we wanted to do, you know, we had so much fun working together, we wanted to go do it again. Um, and so we went through this same process we'd been through a few times before of spending a little time prototyping different ideas uh, and and deciding what we were going to build. But just this time, um, you know, from places we were each coming from uh, in our personal journeys, we we decided there actually there wasn't one idea that all three of us uh, were really uh, enthusiastic about. Um, and so we actually uh, went our separate ways at that point. Um, uh, Sam wound up back at Google. Um, and I went and started Scalar, um, and, uh, and then Claudia joined me. So she's so two of the three of us are back together, uh, but the path to get there was was a little complicated. So, 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 really quick question there, uh, Steve, because you've done the brainstorming and and really giving birth to an idea uh, several times. I know that there is a, a bunch of people that probably are right now listening in, and and either they have a corporate job or they're thinking about you know what kind of idea they can come across. So what is a, a good methodology or process to, to, to really brainstorm or to come up with something that can turn into something meaningful? So the thing for, the, you know, in hindsight, the thing for me that, um, I, you know, I think has worked the best for us is to pick an idea that serves you, where you are an, a representative of the customer. Now that can be, you know, you have to be careful there because it might be that you're the only customer. But if there's something that you really want to use, it bugs the heck out of you that this doesn't exist and you can't have it today. That for me is a good litmus test of is this an idea that at least some people will care about? Uh, because you know we've also, you know, I've had periods where we would, you know, we would just sort of think something would make sense. I bet you know college students would love this or this demographic would love, you know, these people would love to have this thing. Not, you know, I wouldn't use it, but, but you know, there's this big market that would use it. And it's, um, you know, I don't think you're, you're kind of, you don't have the right sort of sense of taste when you're trying to project onto someone else like that. Um, and so even if you have the correct basic idea that there's a market over there somewhere, um, you're not necessarily going to, to serve it well. So the, the ideas that have always worked well for us are the ideas that we wanted to use ourselves. So then, so then, for example, on the testing, so once you come up with something and you're like, okay, you know, like, this is really cool. So what, what kind of pointers would you give listeners about testing that, that potential idea? You know, I don't think there's any magic there. You, you know, you have to go out and, and talk, to, talk to people, talk to the kind of people who you hope are going to be your market and, um, and see what they think. And the trick is, you know, of course, everyone's polite and everyone will want to tell you that it's a nice idea. And so the... <laughs> The actually, you know, so the Claudia, you know, my partner Claudia tells this story of um, that uh, I think it was a, you know Procter and Gamble, which is of course you know one of the great consumer products companies. They you know they would go out and test products, and they sometimes you know they, there would be something like you know single use little soap packets, or I don't know what you know they had some little idea for you know something like that. And and they would describe it to people, and people would say, "Oh yeah, that that's a neat idea. That that would be great for camping, because you know you're camping, you don't want to, you don't have any place to keep your soap, and you're not using it, whatever." They quickly learned that great for camping meant I would never bother to buy this in a million years, but there that's my polite way of you know not saying that it's a completely stupid idea, because uh, how much of your life do you actually spend camping? And um, and so you have to learn to hear the difference between 
I'm being polite. And so I'm going to describe a sort of artificial situation where that idea makes sense. Or, yes, I actually want to use this and I need it every day. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. I mean, it's a, it's about how disappointed would be people if they could no longer use whatever you're doing. Exactly. You know, that's a good way to, to really understand if you can get to product market fit or not with qualitative research and quantitative data as well that you can get from potential customers. So so in, in, in Skyler, what ended up being the, uh, the business model? Um, so the business model is actually very straightforward. Um, you know, it, it's basically just uh, fee for use uh, specifically. And, you know, so our product, just very briefly, we're, um, and again, you know, we're, we're addressing the problem that we were experiencing ourselves within Google managing a, a sophisticated, you know, complicated system. And this is a problem that comes up everywhere now because you've got all these big technical, you know, the move to the cloud um, and service-based architectures. There's all these, um, and, you know, software as a service, all these big shifts in the way uh, people are deploying applications. They, they're enabling companies to build more and more sophisticated applications with lots of moving parts because someone like Amazon or Google or Microsoft will run the most of those parts for you. But then you've got, but now you have the challenge of making that whole complicated system work together. And even if a service provider is managing each individual piece for you, your team still has to keep the whole thing working together. And, um, you know, that was the problem we had internally at Google. And that's the problem we're solving now for our customers. Uh, and the way we do that is by collecting data from all of these systems that you're running uh, and giving you the tools to actually to make sense of that mass of data. Um, and so we just charge by the amount of data. Um, it's, it's a straightforward model. It fits our cost, uh, you know, our, our internal cost structure. It fits the way customers uh, think about things. And so um, almost unusually, perhaps in the internet age, um, the business model was the easy part here. Mm. So then, so then why, for example, like I know that before you guys were self-funding stuff. So, so why did you decide, you, did you decide to take money for, for this venture? Really, it's just the scale of the opportunity. Uh, you know, some of the other companies I built, it was, you know, two or three of us uh, in a garage or an attic, uh, banging out code and, you know, kind of mission accomplished. We had built what we wanted to build. Um, there's a lot more to the ambition of what we're trying to build here. Um, and, um, and, and, and frankly, um, you know, I think this is the most interesting business I've built, both in terms of you know, the enjoyment of, of building it, but also in terms of the actual opportunity here. And so, you know, what we're trying to do is just at a, a bigger scale than, uh, you know, than, than rightly, for example. So would you say that, for example, being coined or perhaps viewed as the father of Google Docs helped you to, to really raise money easier? <laughs> it didn't hurt. It didn't hurt. It, you know, you still you have to you know you have to build something worthwhile. But uh, but but you know that calling card will get will get you in the door, and um, and that certainly helps. So so for example, like the investors that you got, um, you got you got Google Ventures, right? Uh, we did. Yep. Really cool. And then you got Shasta Ventures, Bloomberg Beta, uh, Susa Ventures, Sherpalo Ventures. So so how did you? Um, decide that these guys were the right investors for this because you know it's interesting when when you're fundraising and when you're a first-time entrepreneur you you just take checks from anyone i guess when you're at your level and and you have that level of credibility in the market you're at a point where you can actually decide who you want to invest in your company so so what drove that decision yeah we we did have uh we were fortunate to have some ability to pick and choose and you know if i I think the number one thing was looking for investors who they saw what we saw, you know, so the, you know, they wanted, you know, because, you know, sometimes you'll, you'll meet investors who have kind of a one size fits all mentality and they want everything they invest in to kind of fit the same model. And, you know, whether it's hire a big sales team or, or whatever it is, like, you know, they just, they see everything as a cookie cutter. Um, but the, we, we managed to find investors who were excited about what we were building for the reasons we were excited about it um, and who were bought into the, the vision of how we wanted to build the company. Um, you know, being, you know, certainly personally, you know, an engineer um, by background, you know, I'm very interested in building a company that's going to succeed on the basis of the, the technology and the product. And, um, and, and, you know, the, the, the investors that we've been able to work with, um, they were excited about that. And so they're supporting us 
to build the company we want to build instead of you know just trying to fit us into some you know enterprise SaaS uh, you know cookie cutter model. Because how much capital have you guys raised to date? Uh, about thirty-four million, give or take. Really cool, really cool. And and I guess the um, one thing that I wanted to ask you here is, uh, I mean, your your experience is really incredible, and and we know that entrepreneurship is not such thing as a straight line. So so let's talk about one of those dark moments that you had, and what was the big breakthrough out of it? Um, whew, let's see. I, you know, the truth is, I'm struggling to name. Uh, name one specific. Actually, so I'll, I'll tell you one moment. Um, and this was this was back during Rightly. So it, the, during that first hundred days, when we were building the product, hadn't launched it yet. Suddenly, it seemed as if competitors were just popping up out of the word work. Uh, almost literally every week, there would be some new announcement of someone who was building a, a web-based word processor or, or something like that. And uh, and then in particular, and some of these looked like they might be pretty. Uh, you know, sketchy uh, and not to be worried about. There was a there was a company called Thirty Seven Signals. It was very well respected. They had done a lot of really nice web applications. Um, you know, they were kind of some of our heroes as, as we were building Rightly, and they ran a teaser ad for something called Rightboard. Um, and it was a teaser ad. Didn't really say what it was going to be, but it sure looked like it was going to be a collaborative word processor. Uh, and we just didn't feel there was any way we could compete with those guys. Uh, but, you know, we were in it. We figured, you know, all right, let's at least proceed with the launch. Um, and so we launched. And then a few weeks later, they launched. And long story short, um, it was a nice, what they had done was was nicely done, but it was only intended to serve a, a niche audience. Wasn't really directly related to what we were doing. Um, and all of those other companies as well, um, you know, all those other products that were launching about around the same time as ours, um, None of them wound up really getting in our way. Um, most of them never went very far. So, you know, we thought, oh, my God, like, we're just going to be this little fish in this huge pond. And what we're doing is not in the least bit unique. After, you know, it seemed like a unique idea when we started it. But just, you know, uh, you know a couple months in already, everyone's doing it. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, you're, you know, if, you know, I think if you, if you build the right thing, um, it's easy to envision that everyone else is doing what you're doing, uh, but it's you know didn't 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 doesn't always turn out to be the case. Interesting, you know, and that's why I always tell entrepreneurs that they shouldn't be afraid of of sharing what they're up to and and their ideas and and perhaps brainstorming without really disclosing the secrets. Us because at the end of the day, you know, like if, if someone knows what you're up to and they try to replicate what you're doing, it's going to take them anywhere between six to twelve months to really get it right. I've always felt that way. And I'll, and even, <laughs> you know, if you've been out there trying to pitch your idea and get people interested and find customers and find investors, it's incredibly hard to sell people your idea. So the idea that someone is, is just going to steal the idea and run with it without you when you can barely, you know, push and shove people into, you know, trying out the idea, um, it, you know, certainly it can happen and you don't want to, you know, you know, open all your cards always up front, but, but I definitely, but there's so much more to be gained by, you know, getting out in the open than, than trying to, you know, hide in stealth mode. Um, I, I completely agree. So, so then, so then shifting gears here and, and going back to Skylar in a world where the vision is fully realized, what does that world look like? So in that world, um, and again, you know, so we're about giving visibility to engineers, um, and it's it's actually an, it's an extremely difficult problem because the you know these these applications and database servers and all these pieces that we run, they're so complicated and they're so opaque. Um, you know, think about you know back in the day, you know, if you had a problem with your car, you know, you know, you're there in the car and you can hear it and you can smell it and you know you see smoke coming out of the engine. You you know you have a decent idea. It's probably the radiator or something. There's kind of a direct connection between you and this complicated machine. Nowadays, cars are so complicated and it's all software. Something goes wrong with your car, even though you're there in the car. You know you're going to have no hope of figuring out what's going on, right? And it's that much worse in uh, you know in the server world where you're not even physically located with the thing and even if you were it's not going to give you any physical clues it's this huge complicated thing that is just completely opaque and what we're trying to do is take all the information the logs and all the detailed information that these systems uh, generate and summarize it for people 
and let them explore it to give them back the ability to actually understand what's going on in a server. You know, you talk to a lot of operations teams or engineering teams today, and often the, the attitude is almost one of fear. Like, I don't really know what's going on in my systems. Like, I know it's not on fire at the moment until it is. Uh, but, but like, I don't, you know, I don't know what might happen next. And, and I don't know whether I'll be able to figure it out when it does happen. And what we're working toward is ultimately giving people such a clear idea of how their systems are functioning that it takes that fear away. Um, and that's, and, 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 and that in turn is to allow people to move faster. You know, you're always trying to evolve your software, create, you know, create new functionality, move things forward. And it's hard to do when you're not sure how the system is functioning and what the change, what your next change is, is going to do. And so to, to really give people that quick and deep understanding of, of, of how things work is, is what we're working toward. Got it. So, so one, one question that I, that I always ask the guests um, here, Steve, is, is basically now knowing what you know and unbelievable journey that you've had, Steve, knowing what you know now, if you could you know, have the opportunity to speak with your younger self and give yourself one piece of advice, your younger self, one piece of advice, business advice before launching a, a company, what would that be and why? Focus on your customers, not your competitors. And this goes directly to that story I was telling, you know, about all the apparent competitors for Rightly. Uh, because you can spend your whole life, you know, doing market research and convincing yourself that these eight other things are all doing what you're doing. Uh, but if your customers don't, you know, if your customers think your idea is new and interesting, then it's new and interesting. I love it. I love it. So for the folks that are uh, listening, what is the best way for them to reach out and say hi, Steve? Um, I just go to scalar.com, S-C-A-L-Y-R. Um, you, can, you can get to us from there. Amazing. Well, Steve, thank you so much for being on the DealMaker Show today. Uh, thank you. This has, been, this has been fun. If you like the show, make sure that you hit that subscribe button. If you could leave a review as well, that would be fantastic. And if you got any value, either from this episode or from the show itself, share it with a friend. Perhaps they also appreciate it. So also remember that if you need any help, whether it is with your fundraising efforts or with selling your business, you can reach me at Alejandro at PantheraAdvisors.com. You've reached the end of another episode of the DealMakers podcast. For free resources and materials, head over to AlejandroCremades.com. Thank you for listening and see you at the next episode.